Hello and welcome back to another episode of Leads to Growth. I'm your host, Chris McCoy, and we are back with part two of Tim Pollard. Last week, he talked about the three most common mistakes made uh, in every sales presentation and why is re- retellability, we we'll always get that one wrong, the most important yet most misunderstood aspect of sales messaging, especially in B2B sales. All right, y'all, make sure that you check out last week's episode if you have not already. And today we're going to discuss what does world-class messaging look like and how is it tied to brain science and how we consume information. All right, back to the boys. All right, Tim, give it to them. Okay, so uh, hold on, real quick. I don't know if y'all are. I don't know if y'all are enjoying this as much as I am, but I, 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 I can't even come up with questions to ask. My jaws just sitting here hanging. So please, Tim, roll on, my man. Okay, I don't know if you're hearing any weird noises. They're doing work on our building. By the way, let's save this for another day. But think about this. How much harder does that get in a virtual environment when customers are distracted? They're checking other technology. Two-hour meetings become 45 minutes. They're highly fatigued. What I just want to say one thing that I need people to understand. The virtual selling environment amplifies these mistakes in a very serious way. A lot of companies saw serious uh, decline in sales outcomes when the world went virtual, except for the ones that knew how to message. And they just had a breakthrough season. So we'll come back to that. Okay. The answer, of course, is that you've got to build messaging that's aligned to the way the human brain consumes information. Just think of that as the foundational truth. This doesn't fail because it's a crappy PowerPoint deck. It fails because this it literally violates everything we know about how human beings learn. So what you want to do is build meshing that looks a lot more like this. Now, there are seven fundamental hallmarks of a great message, but I don't have time to go through all of them. So what I want to do is give you three that are the most critical. So this, as I mentioned earlier, is the new messaging for WebEx. This is C-level messaging. We have permission to share the C-level messaging for financial services And it's a perfect emblem. I I wish I could show you the old deck, but it's a perfect emblem of what getting it right would look like. So the first thing you're going to notice is it's got to be incredibly crisp and clean and simple. We have got to suppress our desire to pack too much in. It doesn't matter how much you want to do that. You've got to keep it within the brain's bandwidth. That's a matter of self-discipline and an understanding of certain tools which we can teach people about how you do that. So what you want to do is get to something that will completely fit within a human brain. Now, I want to show you something interesting. All salespeople go into a meeting, or pretty much all of them, with one document, you know, one deck to rule them all, to quote Lord of the Rings. Never do that. Never do that. What you want to do is build the document. And by the way, I hate slides. Typically, I'm going to argue for a document. We'll talk about that later. The core document for the discussion. But guess what? Build an appendix with all the secondary information. If you were to ask me what is one of the most important uh, uh, distinguishing attributes of a truly great communicator, it is that they understand the difference between what's primary and secondary, and they dump what's secondary, because that's why TMI happens. The decks I'm holding up completely bloated with a blend of primary and secondary material. And that secondary material crowds out and dilutes what's primary. So what you've got to do is figure out what's the primary story and what's secondary. And by the way, that creates a gorgeous conversation. 
and makes you look incredibly smart because the customer notices that you understood the difference. By the way, sellers always think they're going to be in this appendix you know, 90% of the time. Typically, the appendix gets open maybe 5% of the time. So yeah, hugely quick, important lesson. And you gave them time back. You gave them time back. Who doesn't Absolutely. love getting time back? Wow. I, we have a client. They're a CPG firm. Uh, they sell into these really small companies like Walmart, Target, and Amazon. Their head of sales just had a meeting at Walmart. No word of a lie. In fact, this is the document he used. I can show you that. And um, it was a one-hour meeting. I kid you not, Chris. I give you this guy's name. His name is, in fact, Chris. Um Meeting was done in 10 minutes, 10 minutes. That's all he needed to cover what they covered. Got a huge multi-million dollar deal for a product placement in the fall coming up to Christmas. And they're done in 10 minutes. Customer's the happiest person in the world. So really crisp and simple. And the way you get there is, is some certain tools we can teach you, but, but understanding what's primary and secondary. The second thing, and this is going to tie so much of what we've said today together, is it has to be deeply rooted in the customer problem. So for example, look on the front cover here. If you can't read it, I'll read it to you. It doesn't say introducing WebEx 4.0. What it says is, with so many tools to communicate, why do your global teams still feel so disconnected? And I want you to think about the, the, how momentous that, that is. Firstly, you talked earlier about relatability, the idea that someone sees themselves in the story. Right out of the gate, I'm saying this is about you, not me. And the CIO of a large bank is going to jump on that question. The second thing is engagement. You want people who typically will disengage to lean in. This is crucial in virtual selling. You've got to give them that reason to hang up the phone or stop playing with the dog. And the third thing this is going to do, and we'll come back later, is this is a primary driver of retailability because this group does care about business problems. They don't care about WebEx. So how do you create retailability this way? Now, really good working rule. I want people to remember this. Typically, you don't just name the problem and they say, let me show you the solution. You want one third of the conversation to be about the problem phrase we'll often use, lead and linger, unpack the problem. And, and in this layout, which in fact is what a lot of our clients, we work with a lot of companies, Schneider, Siemens, uh, uh, Disney, Salesforce, LinkedIn, uh, uh, Cisco, IBM, companies that use this model. A lot of them have settled on this bifold model. And there's reasons why I like that. And this whole panel is devoted to the problem. So here are some really big thoughts and ideas about why when collaboration goes wrong, why that hurts you. People hate their job. They, they feel isolated and alone. You have huge security risks, all kinds of things going on here. So you want to spend time rooted in the customer problem, and it's going to open up all kinds of benefits to you. And of course, it completely solves this problem of being sender-oriented. And then the third, the third one I want to talk about, the third one, Hallmark, um, is you then develop your value proposition. What is a value proposition? And no one understands this. A value proposition is simply the argument that you are the best solution to that problem. That's a value proposition. Value in, embedded, in fact, in the economic value of solving that problem. But what you want to do is express your value proposition through the lens 
or through the medium, if you like, of a small number of big ideas. This is a final point I want to make about how the brain works. People are engaged at this point. They, they've had a 15-minute conversation about the problem. They want to know if you can solve it. So do you just then fire features and functions at them? No. The human brain operates at the level of ideas. It traffics in ideas. At the end of this call, if someone said to you, hey, Chris, what was that English guy talking about? You're not going to just, you know, somehow from your mind retrieve 30 minutes of conversation. Your mind doesn't have that. What your mind has done and is doing right now is it's boiling everything I say down to a small number of big ideas. So what you might say to a friend is, it's kind of interesting. He talked about retellability and the importance now of fixating on the downstream meetings. Now, what have you done? You've taken a, long, a longer conversation. You've boiled it to an idea. This is, in fact, how the brain stores information. So what does that mean? Well, this means something we've known since freaking Cicero in the third century BC is that the brain operates at the level of ideas. So wouldn't a great communicator deliver their message as a small number of big or powerful ideas? And that's exactly what you see here. I can't get into them in detail. That would be confidential. But these sort of bold chapter headings are the big ideas. I'll, I'll give you an example, one from, from this I showed you earlier. This is a healthcare message for a company called Graybar. I, I, I explained all this one in my first book, actually. But this is a healthcare message. And um, one of the key big ideas is our solution is non-disruptive. It's a perfect example. Somebody might really see the problem. They, they like that this solution will solve the problem. They like the economics. But now they have an issue, which is, yeah, but I can't shut the hospital for a year to do a lighting retrofit. So this idea that our solution is profoundly non-disruptive cuts through all of the crap. And what you want someone to leave a sales conversation really clear on as, as these typically three or four, three or four big ideas, which you then support with a small amount of powerful data or illustration. And now that's the formula. What is the problem? Think of a, of a message as essentially a symphony of three movements. You have a problem, Chris, which is kind of bigger and more serious than you think it is. Mm -hmm. We have a solution for that, which I've expressed through a small number of big ideas. This is how we move forward together. That is, in fact, an extraordinarily robust template for the way to think about a sales message. So that's kind of the intellectual structure. And I don't think your audience needs me to explain how it solves for all of this. Simplicity solves for too much information. Clarity of sequence and flow and boiling and synthesis solves for confusion. And problem centricity solves for sender orientation. And all of this will create something that's highly retellable if you do one more thing. What is the final thing I want you guys to take away from this? When you've built the message, now these are three of actually six hallmarks. I don't have time to get to the other three. They're interesting, but no time. The seventh hallmark is not of the message itself, but it's how the message is captured to the customer. You want to build a document, and you want to build a document specifically engineered for retellability. And spoiler alert, it's not this crap. Um, think of it this way. Um, science has proven for over 30 years that unaided recall 
of any information will never exceed 10%. Unaided recall, when you hang up the phone today, you know, whatever, you'll remember about 10%. And I have no control over that. I have no control over which 10% you remember. Well, that's a disaster here. Back yeah. to Juan. I, you know, Juan's only going to remember 10% if I don't give him a document. And who knows what 10% he's going to remember. I can't give him this because this goes straight in the trash. So the key rule to remember, once you build a great message, is don't fight a battle you can't win, which is the unaided recall battle. Give somebody a document that is so crisp, so clean, so compelling. What did I say before? So beautifully and elegantly laid out that Juan is fully able, equipped to retell the story because there's no limit to uh, someone's ability to retell the story. There's no 10% limit. I wish I had more time, but I could tell you story after story of people who've had a first meeting and the customer has almost perfectly represented that story. And you know what the evidence for that is that is absolutely demonstrable is when people move to this model, their sales cycles shorten. This this message had an 18 to 24 month sales cycle that became a six to 12 month sales cycle. This was the original deck. In fact, 40 slides, not the worst I've ever seen, but not very good. When they moved to this message model, the sales cycle halved. Why? Because the story was spreading without them having to come back and, and spread it. So if, if your listeners today understand these problems, which I'm sure they do, and they've seen them, they're all doing it, understand the consequences, then I think now we have the context we need. They can see why this messaging model and approach would work cognitively. But then if you embed it in a document, that's the final piece of the puzzle. And that's why we see sales conversion rates with this model often double or triple. That's not uncommon. This one we can document. This was a 13% sales conversion rate when it was done this way, and a 34% sales conversion rate when it when it was done this way. Because why? It's compelling and it's retellable. So anyway, that's a very complete answer to a question. I hope that's helpful. My man, I hope that's helpful. He says as, as he as he just dropped a bomb on us here in in uh, 35, 40 minutes. Tim, I gotta tell you, man, that that is that is you just took us. Uh, you did the Russell Brunson on us. You took us through the problem while you executed the solution on us. You took us through the problem. Y'all, y'all see this on the board here. He took us through the problem. He identified our challenges, and then he showed us the solution in the same way that he creates the 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 the, the document for the people. It's funny. It's incredibly observant. I'm not selling anything here. We just no. we just love helping people with this. Now we do have stuff to sell. No question. But this is the narrative architecture of a good sales message. You have a problem that's that's that that and, and, I, and this is where you create credibility doesn't come from credentials, by the way. I haven't told you anything about myself. And if you recall it when we were warming up, I said I don't want to talk about myself. I want to talk about this. Credibility comes from understanding the customer's problem. So this would be often how a sales message would start. You absolutely, when you develop a sales message, want to talk about the impact of the problem. These are the manifestations of it, but this is the impact of it. And then there would be a pivot in a sales message. Well, how do you solve this? And in here, you see embedded big ideas. Big idea number one 
you build a message that aligns with the cognitive processes of the customer's brain. And big idea number two is embed that in a document that facilitates retellability. So this, in fact, is not built. This, this conversation wasn't built as a sales message, but oddly, it illustrates the architecture of a sales message. I mean, it's this is how I did a TED Talk recently. This is how I architected the TED Talk. All of our work with some companies is executive communication. And guess what? It follows exactly the same architecture. You're trying to raise money. You're trying to fund, get funding. What do you talk about the invest? What do you say to the investors? You don't talk about how cool you are. You talk about the problem that's out there that you solve and how and why you solve it, and then what you're going to spend the money on. It all follows the same architecture. So it does. it's interesting how many places this would apply. And it's it's social psychology, right? Because because when 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 I give Tim the credibility of what he just explained, what did I get from that? I got certainty. Right. Yeah. I got certainty. And then as he showed me um, how this manifests, I got some significance. Why? Because it wasn't my fault. I was set up kind of probably wrong with the wrong tools and and maybe the wrong process. Right. That gave me a little bit of a let me off the hook a little bit of the significance. Right. Then he gave me the logic and the answer and, and the responses there. And, yeah. and that, that leverages my, my the way that I think and need to be. Thinking. Yes. Cognitive and behavioral psychology. By the way, I know we could talk about this all day. You just said something incredibly important. There is a very, very big difference between problem and blame. Mm, yes, yes. If I, if I come to you and say, you know, Chris, you're getting lighting wrong in your hospital and, you know, it's hurting nursing productivity, it's hurting clinical outcomes, it's hurting your brand, I'm sort of riffing on the message, and then say, Chris, what the hell were you thinking, man? Are you an idiot? I mean, what kind of CEO are you? That's not going to go well. That's blame. A problem is never associated with blame. The way this message, as all messages would work, is, Chris, the way you're doing lighting is, is how everyone does it. The world was incandescent, and then it went to fluorescent. And that was the best investment you could make, and you made the right investment. Unfortunately, that way of doing lighting leads to certain problems, which are nursing productivity, clinical outcomes. Um, but that wasn't a bad decision on your part. It was the right thing. Now, here's the news. Now we have intelligently controlled wireless LEDs. These problems can be solved. Very important that the, the audience here today understands the distinction between a problem and blame. And this is, it's always, you know, ne this is never a problem because nobody acts with ill intent. If my, any problem that businesses solve, is never the result of negligence. It's almost always the result of working with the best available technology at the time. But of course, as technology changes, then problems that didn't used to be solved can now be solved. So that, that nugget you picked up is tremendously important. Um, if you, But it's not going to happen. You're never going to stand up and say, Chris, you were an idiot for doing the lighting the way you did. But, but you could make me feel that that blame sometime by, by by just pointing it out and not letting me off the hook. I think that letting me off the hook is I could take the blame even though if you didn't blame me for it. I think letting me off yeah, the hook. Yeah, I mean, that. it's very rare, I think, that problems that companies have actually do arise from any form of negligence. People do the best that they can with the finances, the resources, and the available technology. Almost all sales messages, their essence is, hey, there's a new way of solving this problem. So in fact, this is never uh, really uh, an issue. But it's, it's yeah. interesting to talk about because you could, in theory, get this wrong. You're probably familiar with Challenger. Uh, I did the original Challenger research. I, I started this company because the 
in arguably the, the missing piece of Challenger is the methodology to build the message. Challenger says exactly the same thing, and it's right, is you anchor in a customer problem, but you form a distinction between a problem and, and blame. I love it. Y'all get out there and get, I know I'm going to jump on Amazon and buy a compelling, compelling communicator. That, that was your first book? Um, that was the first book. Um, if you're really interested in sales messaging, okay. I would probably just go to our website and look at the uh, either the, the e-learning there on how to design and deliver a, a world-class sales message. The book takes a slightly uh, broader approach. Um, and we, we have various forms of all the good stuff. live training and stuff like that. Yeah. And we'll we'll make sure to put the the link there in, in the in the comments here. Don't oh, look at this guy; he's ready. Because I'll it's tell you such what, a horrible I, I've word. I've been taking notes all day. Because it's such a horrible word that I probably shouldn't have picked. But aratium.com. and and obviously connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, we have all kinds of ways of training and consulting that can help with this stuff. Um, and uh, uh, it's a small investment, typically for a very big return. Tim, we, we, we've got to have you back again, man. Uh, this was just too much fun. So I'm going to get you to commit to back. Are you coming back again? I would love to. There's there a we go. There we go. I had to get here. him to do it on video. I had to get him to do it on video just so I could lock him down a little bit. Really, this no, is one of my favorite. that's fun. Let, let, let's come back and talk about how this changes when you sell to the C-suite. That's an yes. interesting question. Yes, yes. Let's definitely take that C-suite conversation. And, and how do you manage hybrid meetings? There's a lot of interesting adjacencies to, to this stuff. So, yeah, I'll be happy to come back on the on the rotation somehow. Oh, fantastic, man. And when you come back through Austin, we'll have to have you at the ranch. We'll do a sit down and do a live interview. Uh, that perfectly possible. I get down to Texas all the time. So there we go. I live in Montana, so I'm familiar with ranches. But uh, yeah, yeah, I got to get, get, up, I gotta get up there to Montana, too. That's on my list, man, for sure. Perfect. Great. Awesome. Well, hey. Thank you so much for being here. Really, and, and honestly, you 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 delivered tenfold. Uh, I, I I don't even know what to say to be honest. I'm very very grateful for this content, and I know our audience will be as well. That's very kind. That's very kind, Chris. I really enjoyed it. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely, my pleasure. Y'all know what to do. You got to like, comment, and share this one quick because your friends and and people you work with will definitely appreciate this one. So <laughs> go ahead and get that done. Put all them stars down there, and uh, we'll see you all in the next one. That's leads to growth. We're the National Association of Sales Professionals, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers, y'all. Thank you, guys. Bye, bye.